But we should be live now. So hello and welcome to the RPT Academy podcast Twitch channel. This will eventually also be audio podcast and on our YouTube channel. My name, of course, is Michael, and this is Detention Live. Joining me tonight for my guest co-host is Chris Burlew from the Redemption Podcast. Chris, say hello to everyone. Uh, very excited to see that we already have a couple people joining us. Uh, both Ramey and Foxblade uh, have already checked in on chat. So thank you very, very much for, for jumping in. I really appreciate it. Um, if this is your first time watching or listening or in, in the future paying attention to a detention, this is sort of our loose format D&D talk show. We have some segments that we go into. We do some silly improv stuff that we do, but we hope that somewhere in the middle of all this shenanigans, there'll be something that maybe you can pull out and apply at your table so that you can make your games even better. Uh, Time Sparrow is also joining us. Welcome. Happy to have you with us as well. Uh, so we'll start as we pretty much always do now. So we're going to start with what we call extracurricular. And this is where we just talk about what we've been up to, anything top of mind or of interest. Chris, I'll start with you, buddy. What you been up to? Uh, mostly work and uh, Boy Scout stuff with uh, all the social distancing rules. We're modifying a lot of Boy Scout stuff so we can help them get their merit badges and help them advance and stuff. Uh, other than that, uh, doing some tabletop board gaming with you, some virtual games. Also, uh, my son wants to go archery hunting this year, so we're trying to find a bow because my old bow from 30 years ago, imagine this, has a cracked limb after ah. 30 years. I thought it would be in tip-top shape, but yeah. trying to find him something new, and uh, if you don't bow hunt, it's not cheap. <sighs> a starter bow is $400. Arrows are ten dollars a piece. Then you got to buy the yeah. It's hopefully he really gets into it and it's something he loves. And I told him, well, I'll spend the money, but you got to put in the time to practice and let's go do this. Secretly, I'm only going to buy one bow. So if he doesn't like it, I get a bow because <laughs> at least I'll shoot in the backyard. So. Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We'll see if I can move you down just a little bit. There we go. By cutting and pasting or cropping to, to get our windows to be about the same size. I think it's better today than I've done in the past because you and I physically are about the same size on screen where usually one of us is tiny. Uh, but wow. I think I had you a little bit too high there. So Chad's letting us know that, yes, people can hear you now, which is fantastic. Uh, what's going to happen, though, tomorrow when I stream Rygar is you're going to be able to hear the the audio from the game because I'm going to forget to turn that off again. Uh, <laughs> so just expect tomorrow you're going to have to say, hey, Michael, Make sure you hit mute on the game. So, uh, what have you been up to? Uh, playing Rygar. We just I just finished Dragon Warrior. Uh, played that for like fifteen sessions. It was actually a ton of fun. I really got into that game a lot more than I thought I would. My memories of it were a little bit clouded. Maybe uh, mm -hmm. I remember it being like crazy difficult and crazy long, and it was neither of those things necessarily. A little bit of both, but not to the extent I was thinking. But I really I really enjoyed it. I had a great time, finished it up, and then I moved into Rygar, which is another game I remember from childhood, which is really hard. Uh, Dragon Warrior is hard because you just have to put in a lot of time. Rygar, mm -hmm. I've died like 400 times already, just constantly getting killed. Uh, so that's where the, the difficulty of that game comes in. And I'm a little nervous because I'm still figuring out the emulator stuff 
And just about every time I do detention, I end up crashing my computer because Zoom and OBS <laughs> don't play well together. And I have to have both of those running to do detention. So usually after I do detention, the next time I go in to try to do OBS, it crashes. It's just, it's just something I expect to happen. So I'm really interested to see if tomorrow, A, my computer crashes, and B, if it still has saved my game. Because uh, Rygar doesn't have a save game feature like Zelda do, does or Dragon okay. Warrior. So I had the emulator like, save itself. I haven't yet tested to see that. So I'm I'm 50-50 on whether or not tomorrow I'm going to boot up the game and it not remember where we were at. Well, if I remember Dragon Warrior, I think part of what took us so long, you know, back in our day, <clears throat> trying to find things. Because I remember you had to like go 12 steps this way, three steps that way, search and find things. And we didn't have the internet to go ask people for help. I remember buying a cheat guide, mm-hmm. like a little magazine that you went through to find like the best sword and the best armor and spending yeah. hours just searching for things. There was one place where you specifically had to do the how many steps away in each, in two directions, but there's a little bit of a cheat or not really a cheat. It's a, there's a, once you save the princess, she will tell you how far away you are, but you have to know to ask her, mm-hmm. uh, so if you didn't do that either on accident or just no to, then it's a lot more difficult. Because uh, I did the same thing the first time. I'm like, I tried to walk, you know, 70 paces this way and 30 this way, and I couldn't get there. And I was like, how the hell are you supposed to do this? And fortunately, one of the people, I think it's Mr. Spokes, who's been watching those with me, who's like a Dragon Warrior expert, was like, hey, moron, check this thing. And then <laughs> then it tells you. So it was a little bit easier after that. Um, I got the new Marvel Legendary set. I was talking a little bit nice. to you about that off air. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I love that game. This is the brand new one just came out and I'm really digging it. I think it's got some cool stuff. I'm excited to actually play it. So hopefully it'll get added to Tabletop Simulator pretty soon because mm-hmm. uh, it's a lot more fun to play that game with you than it is to play mm-hmm. it uh, alone. But I will play it alone if I have to. Uh, really, that's about it. I don't think... Oh, a catacon! I should mention that! Yeah, that went live <laughs> yesterday at 3 o'clock. And, uh, y- you know, I, I don't want to try to act like I feign my fears and my panic at this point. But I have some confidence that it was going to do well. Maybe, Maybe more than I would let on. But I was still blown away at how well it did early on. Uh, we funded in 34 minutes, which I only know because someone told me. But I knew we, I knew we funded quickly. But someone specifically said, "Hey, did you yeah. realize?" But uh, which I'm pretty sure is the fastest we've ever funded. We funded in the first day before, but I don't think we've ever funded that quickly. Now, granted, our funding was much less. I mean, last year it was like eleven thousand dollars. This right. year was two. You know. That's a big difference, but still to to fund that quickly makes me feel good. And then we hit both of our quote-unquote stretch goals within the first day. So I'm pretty excited about that. My guess is that we would hit about 4,000 overall. And the last time I checked, we were a little under 32. But I also think like the the reason we did so well is because people bought VIP badges for next year. So there's not a strong correlation right now between the success of this Kickstarter and how well a catacomb will actually happen this year. Because I have a feeling a lot of people who bought badges 
don't really care about a catacomb this year. They actually bought their badge for next year and are just trying to support us, which I, I'm thrilled and I yeah. love. But that's also part of it. You know, I just, I'm not sure how that's going to translate. But I'm still excited. I'm still very happy. Hopefully they'll jump on and play some of the virtual games. I'll probably run Star Wars, maybe a Shadow of the Demon Lord, go more adult-themed. Mm-hmm. Um, usually I run very kid-friendly games, but it'd be nice to kind of jump into an adult game and not have to uh, worry about content as much. Right. Obviously I still worry about, you know, going too dark. If right, yeah. Want we want to, people but... to feel safe, but, you know, as long as the game is is submitted in a way that lets people know this is a mature game. This is, you know, this is what they're in for. Then we should be okay. But, uh, but yeah, that's completely understandable. I'll, you know, I, as long as you let people know what they're in for, uh, and and then run your table with safety in mind, I think there'll there'll be no problems. I am, uh, plan on running at least one event each day, game, a game each day, probably a a role-playing game each day, Friday, Thursday, yeah, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I also want to run our DME 101 panel. So I was going to talk to you mm-hmm. about that. See if you'd join me and do a live version of it. Uh, and then I, I want to maybe do some Marvel Legendary. I'm a little wary about that because people have to already have TTS before yeah. they can participate. But still, I kind of want to do it just, you know, because I'm sure there's people out there that have it. So that's just one particular event that you have to have signed up for that already. That's uh, it. Throw it out there. And if people sign up, great. If not. Yeah, if Do they don't, else at that time. they don't exactly. Uh, and then I'm a little bit hesitant, a little bit worried about uh, troubleshooting because we might get people who are trying to do this who maybe haven't played online before. Uh, you know, maybe even people who are willing to run games like, hey, I'll run a game for this, but I've never done it before. So that's one thing that I'm a little bit like, that's my fear factor right now is. Are we going to have people who are trying to help us out, trying to do the right thing, trying to be awesome supporters of a catacomb? And then because of their lack of knowledge or maybe people who try to run run or play the games they run's lack of knowledge, we're going to have issues. Uh, so that's what worries. Because same thing like when we're all sitting at the desk and someone walks up and says, hey, our GM doesn't show up. I look at Tom and say, Tom, to the table. And then he runs off and runs an amazing game for people. I don't have that equivalent confidence that if someone's like, hey, I don't know how to use the system and now no one can hear me. Tom, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what I don't know what my backup is there. Uh, maybe we could uh, run a little detention type thing beforehand to kind of help people think about that and plan for what happens if this crashes or that crashes. Mm. Um, usually, when I run games, I just either use a Google Hangout or uh, I'm going to try Roll Twenty because I know you can get a free account there and you can still use video and stuff if people want video. Uh, I usually just. Roll dice at your table. I'll trust whatever you roll. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to worry about if you always succeed. Great. Yeah, it well, could happen, but yeah, that's uh, I mean, that. That's my thought too. But I'm, you know, obviously, I have that. I have to worry about something. So that's what I'm yeah. worried about right now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, actually, Ramey jumped in too. That he also said, yeah, it was 34 minutes. Uh, is we fully funded nice. in 34 minutes, which again is just mind-boggling, but also nerve-wracking i think uh last thing uh last i checked we had 60 people uh who Mm -hmm. had backed the kickstarter we had five vips left and uh, my four thousand dollars was based heavily on uh vips going because that's kind of what i figured would happen 
So, yeah, so we get those other five VIPs out the door. We're going to be really close to that $4,000 mark. But I would still, I mean, I'd love for like 300 more people to jump in at the $3 level and, you know, get a lot of people excited about a Catacon. Though it does look like Metatopia is also doing an online convention the same weekend, which I kind of knew that because, you know, we we were going to be on the same weekend if we were a real convention. Uh, but there's, there, are, there are also, like, I've seen some people talking about, hey, yeah. we're going to do some panels, run some games. So we are still competing a little bit, but uh, I'm not yeah. too worried about it. Our, ours is more fun. I would agree, but I've never been Metatopia, so I can't say. Um, I'm also working on a couple trials. Uh, I think you've actually signed up for one of them. We're going to do a trial mm-hmm. of Forbidden Lands. Yep. So that'll be on the podcast as soon as we get that uh, organized. And I'm trying to organize a trial of my Scooby-Doo Dread. This has been a, a bread and butter game. I've run at multiple conventions for probably the last three years. Three, the last three Gen Cons, the last couple of Origins. I've ran it at Sin, Sin City Con. I've ran it at Catacon. I ran it at faculty retreats. It's been a highlight for me to run and for, honestly, for people to play for a long time. I think I'm ready to put it out into the world, maybe give away all the secrets. So what I want to do for Halloween this year is to run that as a live Twitch game that every, like get four people to play it. And then for Halloween, put it out there, but people would have to have their own Jenga towers. I'm still not a hundred percent sure how that's going to work virtually, but uh, I'm working on that as well. So I don't think, have you ever played in my Scooby-Doo? I have not. And I'll tell you one of my reservations. I don't know if I can role play one of the characters from Scooby Doo. Ooh. Which knowing how you run a game is probably isn't a big deal, but it's just that that idea of I I can't be Shaggy or Velma mm-hmm. or Fred or Daphne. But you know, if I can convince myself I'll sign up and All right, we'll, we'll think it. about it. I don't again I don't want to, you know, monopolize mm-hmm. your time because you do support us a lot just by being like even being here tonight. Uh, you do a lot of things for you, so I don't. I don't want to make you feel pressure, but I'm. I'm hopeful that we can get four people that will sign up to play, so that we can organize that because I think that would be a, a ton of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. But you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Because we we did a Scooby Doo Halloween special in the past through Savage Worlds, uh, which is still on the website. Uh, there's some weird behind the scenes on that one that someday I might <laughs> I might share. It was completely my fault. Off. It was awful. So, but anyway, what. Have you seen the new uh, Scooby-Doo Betrayal on the House on the Hill? Yeah, actually, I got that sent to me. Uh, I was oh. I got a reviewer copy and uh, played it with my kids a couple times. I actually thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, if you like Scooby-Doo or if you like Betrayal on the House on the Hill, that, that's it's a no-brainer to pick up this game. If you like both of those, absolutely. Uh, so I really, really enjoyed that. I'm a big Scooby-Doo fan overall, so. Yeah, that one looked fun. So let's move on. The The second thing that we usually do here is our first improv game. It's called 10 Things. If you're new to the show, basically this is an improv warm-up ex- exercise where Chris and I were going to prompt each other to try to come up with 10 examples of a specific thing. The idea here is immediacy, so it's more important to come up with 10 things quickly than it is to come up with 10 things accurately. Uh, Chris, you are the guest. Would you like to prompt me first or would you like to receive first? Uh Fire away. I'll go first. Okay. So uh, you said you were a little hesitant about trying to role play Scooby-Doo. So I'm going to ask you to give me 10 fictional cartoon characters that you would be comfortable role playing. Ooh. All right. Um, 
Let's go with Underdog. One. Uh, Mr. Magoo. Two. Uh, Lionel. Three. Snarf. Four. Snarf. I could do Snarf. That'd be fun. Uh, let's see. Optimus Prime. Five. Bumblebee. Six. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Cobra Commander. Seven. Uh, Death Destro. Eight. Um, let's go with uh, Chitara from uh, Thundercats as well. I had a sexual and... awakening watching that cartoon, by the way. Yep. Nine. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Anakin Skywalker. Ten. Yay. Yay. Ten things. Excellent. Thank you very much for playing. And now you, sir, can give me a prompt of ten things that I will come up with. All right. Uh, ten names your kids might give to a stuffed animal. Oh my gosh. Uh, every Pokemon, because they love Pokemon. Uh, One. Uh, oh my God. Um, Truffle Shuffle, because they like the Goonies. Um, Potsy, Ralph Mouth. They've never even watched either of those shows. Um, Aang, because they both like Avatar. Five. Uh, Dragon Prince. I've not watched that one yet, but they have, so they've watched that. Uh, they're currently watching Bill and Ted downstairs, so Bill and or Ted. Seven. Um, Godzilla. Eight. Uh, Charlie. Nine. And Bob. Ten. <laughs> Ten. Yay. Yay! Again, it's not important to get them right. It's just important yeah. to get them out. The only reason I thought of that is... The kid put a giant stuffed animal on my table down here. <laughs> no idea why. If I actually thought about that, I probably could come up with some better ones. But definitely there would have been a Pikachu would have been in there somewhere. Yep. Oh, for sure. All right. So usually this is the part of the show where we do something called used books and we talk about an old campaign. But we're actually going to change that up. And we may even going forward change it up pretty regularly. So rather than doing that, we're going to do something called group dis- discussion where we just talk about a topic. So this is sort of like a mini faculty meeting. And I actually wanted to talk about pacing. Uh, I think this is something that comes up a lot in forums about how to be a good DM and people have a lot of thoughts on how pacing is important. I'm a big believer that pacing is important, especially in a convention game, because you want to get a satisfying ending. That's one of the, my frustrations I have run into as a player at conventions is when a DM doesn't pace well mm-hmm. and we end up going through like this really slow, long, drawn out thing. And then they're like, oh, we got 10 minutes left. So let's all wrap it up. We don't even get to fight the last bad guy or we don't even really get a resolution. We just go around the table and everybody gets to like chime in a quick thing about what they did and how we wrapped it up. So I'm a big believer that pacing is important, again, particularly for convention games. So Chris, you are very successful, uh, DM and GM in a lot of different ways, particularly with the success of the Redemption podcast. So I'll just ask you broad strokes at first. What do you feel about pacing? Do you have any particular tips or tricks that you would share for pacing? Uh, First thing I always tell people when it comes to, especially a convention game, because you've got to set time to get that story done in. Don't get married to every little story point you came up with. Because there's going to be a point where you're going to have to look down and go, we got an hour to get through the final battle. We're not quite there yet. And I've planned six more things. Well, five of them are going to get crossed off. You need to get to that final battle because you want to give them the conclusion of the story. So I always make just story points, I call them. And these are options of 
how the story can go. And maybe they follow, maybe they don't, but don't be married to those. Be pretty flexible with it. The other big thing I do, especially since I run the Star Wars FFG, it's got funky dice. So at the beginning of the game, I go a little slower to help people learn the dice. And then as we go, I kind of speed things up a little bit. I also use pacing kind of to build tension. So if it's a quick combat, I might talk a little faster, get the combat moving a little faster just to build that tension at the table. And then when it's more of a role-playing scene, I might slow that down a little bit and give them time to actually role-play. Yeah, I think a couple things here come to mind is one of it depends on which game you're playing, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people who sit down, if you're playing D&D, they expect combat to be a yep. part of that game. And and he's, even as a DM who doesn't do a lot of combat, I would never run a D&D game. I'll say never. I would almost never run a D&D game at a convention without let, without at least one combat. I mean, yeah. I think people would feel slighted if they didn't get any combat. Unless, again, if I put in the description, there will be no combat. Uh, you know, but then why play D&D? Why not play a different game that, you know, focuses more yeah, on role play? Fair enough. Uh, it, it, this is someone who loves D&D and loves to tell crazy stories and not do a lot of combat. Still, I think it's an expe- expectation. I think combat is one of the things that definitely slows the game down and it takes a lot of time, but it's also something that I think is a little bit easier to measure. Like if you, if you know you're going to have four players and you know what you're, you know, what they're fighting, I think you can kind of judge pretty well how long that combat's going to take. Maybe you, five minutes one way and maybe five minutes the other. But I think it's it's pretty reasonable to have an expectation that this combat's going to take half an hour. This combat's going to take 45 minutes. Outside of combat, it can be really difficult to gauge yes. how long things are going to take because if you have players who are maybe not really focused on role play and are just driving to the next story beat, then it might go really quick. If you have some players who are really into role play, you might have an hour before they open the first door. And I mean like literal door that you put in front of them, like you start in a tavern. They may still be in the tavern an hour later because they're just enjoying interacting with each other, interacting with the scenery and the NPCs. And I think to your point, you need to be able to have some flexibility in how many encounters you give them. And I think that opening counter is where you do your litmus test. Um, you know, you you put them in a quick encounter and you just sort of let them play. And that's going to tell you pretty quickly, I think, okay, this is a group that they're going to choose scenery for 40 minutes every time. So yep. my five encounters have gone to two and a half, maybe three, going to have my combat in there. Uh, and then you're sort of gauging where you cut and, and where you don't cut. Uh, there was somebody I follow on Twitter, and I apologize, I don't remember. The name Matt Forback is coming to mind. And I know that is someone who I follow on Twitter and who does D&D top stuff, but I don't know if they're the one that said this or not. But they talked about divine, designing an adventure sort of like a brontosaurus, which I don't even know right. if that's a dinosaur anymore because they keep changing it. But you have this really narrow beginning at the head. Then you have a great big body where things can spread out but then you come back together and you get to the tail and that's how they suggest you design adventures. When you start, 
you have a very specific starting spot, but then it can open up and they have some flexibility and, you know, which way they go. But no matter which way they go, it's going to get them back to where you want them to be at the ending. And I think that's sort of the concept that I keep in mind is, you know, this is where we're going to start. I'm going to give you three or four different places you could go. Depending on how fast we're going, you might do one or two or three of them, or you might just do one. You know, if you're really dragging this out, but you're all, everybody's having fun, I'm going to go, I'm going to roll with it too. But you may only have one place that you go. And at the end of that, we may then move on to the end of the, at the end of the adventure. But what I, I, what I have found personally that I've done, and I don't know if I've done it intentionally, but I've realized that I do it. So now I'm aware of it is how I give out information. And what I mean by that is I'm going to give you a lot more information if we're going too slow. If we're not going slow, I'm going to give you a very little bit of information. And the process of getting information from me is going to become more like taffy, where there's going to be maybe a couple more skill checks, or I might just sort of pull things out. Uh, so trying to think of like a recent example to, to make this make sense. Um you know, let's say the characters come upon um, a scene in the woods. And I know that there was a battle that happened here recently, and there's evidence of a battle. And at some point, they're going to find tracks that lead them off to, like, the next part of the adventure. If we have all the time in the world, I may just say, it looks like something, you know, there's an area of the forest here that there's a lot of activity. There's, there's been something that's happened here recently. And then let them ask questions, let them make skill checks, let them talk to each other. And then they say, oh, well, you do now see uh, maybe you, you find the tip of a broken spear and evidence of maybe blood. Oh, it's, it's a battle. Yeah. And, you know, maybe another round of skill checks. And now that you've, they start talking about battle, I can go, oh, yeah, actually, you can definitely see here it looks like there's footprints of two combatants that have squared off. And then here it looks like this. And here it looks like that. If we're really low on time, I might say you come upon a scene in a forest. Clearly, there's been a battle here. And it's also pretty apparent that they've taken hostages and they went this way, you know, and I will take everything that I was going to dole out slowly through this sort of exercise into like two sentences. And that's, I've kind of realized that I do that a lot when I'm trying to pace. If we've got more time, I'll make the players drag it out of me for low on time. I will just give them information. Same thing with like, like insight. That's a big thing. Like you're talking to an NPC and you're not sure if you should trust them. If we got all the time in the world, we'll role play out that interaction and maybe I'll, I'll have them tell a lie or maybe something that they know is a lie. And other times I might just go, this person seems to be very deceptive. I don't think you would trust them. And I'll just tell them that because we don't have time for you to figure that out. So does that make any sense? Does that resonate with you at all? No, I do something very similar with giving out clues and information uh, just to keep things moving smoothly. I also always give, I have my kind of rule of three. There's always three ways to get to the ending. Mm-hmm. So that way, if they kind of start veering off, I can kind of lead them back to one of the three. So it kind of helps me keep them, I don't want to say on track, but getting to the end, not locked on rails, so to speak. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I also do a small combat like you were talking about, just to kind of test how the players, what their knowledge of the system is, how quick are they at reacting when you say, hey, it's your turn. 
just so I get an idea of how combat's going to go, how quick it's going to go. It's usually something they can kind of slap around in a couple rounds, not something that's going to take them very long and not something that's going to deplete them of very many resources. Um, unless my goal is to chip away at the resources. So they get to the end and they think they're all doomed to build that up. But yeah, you know, usually something quick and easy so they can kind of get the idea. I, I just do a lot of reading the players and paying attention. You know, if I'm playing a home game and I can tell nobody's in a hurry, we're going to relax, make some jokes. But most of the time at conventions, people want to get from one game to the next. Right. So I try to keep it going. Yeah. Those are, they're such vastly different animals that it's, it's mm-hmm. sometimes hard to even compare the two. Cause I do think like in a convention game, and that's obviously top of mind because of Catacomb. But I also, I go to a lot of regular conventions and I run at a lot of them. I play at a lot of them. And, you know, there's things that I've done that in conventions that I think make my home games better. And there's some convention games I've played in that are terrible. And I try to avoid the things that I did there so I won't, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but for me, the probably the biggest thing for a convention game that I would say is I think the beginning is super important. And the ending is super important. Metal is not that important, to be honest with you. You know, the setting, letting the characters interact, giving them a strong foundation of like, you know, this is the mystery or this is the goal. This is the the bad guy who's stolen all of your family members. They have to be defeated. You know, if it's a high combat game, we're going to go defeat them. Giving them motivation. I think all those are very important. And you want a satisfying conclusion, you want to Absolutely. have that final battle. You want to have that final confrontation, even if it's not a combat, if it's just a role-playing counter. And the the worst games I've had at conventions are those that handle that poorly and we rush at the end. Cause, and one of my worst experiences, I know I've talked about this many times, is it's okay to get done early, in my opinion. Yep. I would much rather get done even an hour early if you give me a really good, satisfying conclusion than to run late and have to, you know, rush it to the end and it not be satisfying. One of the worst games I ever played in was we got done way early and the GM, I don't know if they, out of, you know, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I think maybe they thought, oh gosh, I've gotten done too early. And you could tell they were just trying to slow Rushing things down. Yeah. And then that turned into a bad ending. It's like we had a good yeah. ending and you stole it from us and gave us a bad ending because you didn't want to get done early. So I've, I've tried to be very upfront now. I tell people I'm fine. Get done early if it's a good ending. Uh, so Ramey actually jumped in mm-hmm. a little bit about the difference between pacing at a convention versus at a, a campaign at home. So just thinking about a campaign at home, is there anything you would say or do differently in terms of pacing? For me, it's just, paying attention to what the players want and just kind of giving it, giving it to them. You know, like right now I'm playing a lot of games online, which the pacing is going to be a little slower because you have to give people time to react to each other because you're not face to face and you can't pick up on those nonverbal cues. So right now it's a little slower. Usually when, if, if I play a game at home, it's a pretty relaxed game. I have the mentality of if we get to the, Ending of what I've planned out for this session, great. If we don't, we'll just pick it up later. So I don't really worry about it too much in the home game. I use pacing more, like I said, to build the scene. So if they're chasing down the, the goblins who have captured the princess, I might go, all right, Michael, what do you do? Cool, roll. 
Next, what do you do? What do you do? Because mm-hmm. it's a chase scene, so I'm going to speed that up. But otherwise, at, at home games, I'm not too worried about if we get to the ending where I thought we would be. Uh, usually, I leave it in a spot where everybody understands, and they're like, okay, yeah, this is a good spot to stop. Uh, the last time I ran a home game, Ran Shadow the Demon Lord. I decided, hey, let's do the old school random encounter thing. Roll. And the player rolled a one. And I was like, well, great. So you definitely have an encounter and it's not going to be nice. So we ended up completely sidetracked on this random encounter because they started picking up on all these things that I didn't even realize were in the scene until they built it. And we ended the game at the end of that combat and never actually got to where they were supposed to be. So I, I just... I just roll with it. I don't worry about it too much in a home game. Yeah. Uh, Big Al chimed in that he had a ton of fun at Catacon last year. Thank you. Uh, but that yeah. he would actually would have preferred more. So, you know, he would have liked for the games to go a little bit longer. Uh, I completely agree with you, Al. I think my concern, again, as a con goer and as an organizer, though, is understand, you know, people's time. That Some people, myself included, have sometimes scheduled games that go one to three or let's say one to four and another game that starts at four and goes to seven. So, you know, and then like a Gen Con, you might be eight blocks away. Catacon, you're probably in the same room. It's a little bit different there. Uh, But, you know, you can't really go over. And some fact, sometimes it's it's kind of assumed that you will end like 15 minutes early. So people will have a 15 minute window to get from place to place. But, you know, if, if we don't have to do that, then yeah, I want I want the games to go five hours because you know that's kind of what we're we're looking forward to. Um, I will I will say though, trying to plan more than a four hour game can get a little cumbersome from the GMs. Yeah, uh, especially like me, where I spend a lot of time making sure each of the characters, when I build them, I've got it built in the story where they're going to have their moment. So if I have to really kind of play around and add more moments that just adds more work to me um, i think i spent probably 10 plus hours just planning a, a, a four-hour game because i will even sit at home and, and go through some of the combats to make sure i've built the characters so they're nobody's nobody's the, the superstar in the combat so to speak they're all fairly equal with what they can do mm-hmm. so i think that's important in a con game you don't want I don't want the barbarian doing 50 points of damage. And then I build a wizard that can only do three. Right. Cause that just makes that person feel kind of useless in combat. So I try to really balance those out and I do a lot of mock combats at home to make sure that that works. Right. Which is why I always tell people, if you have, if you run a good con game, just run the same one over and over again. Like I've been running these same games going on years because once I've got one that I really like, I don't want to, you know, it's, it's easy just to run the same one over and over again. And it's a little bit different for me and you learn from it each time and that, you know, it's, it's all good. Uh, But what I would say for a home game for me is the pacing takes on a very different feel because it's more of like a meta situation because one session I may want there, I may want it to be a slow session. Like, like the entire session might be slow role-playing uh, you know, we're, we're, we're building towards maybe a reveal, like, I, like maybe the players all know something, but they don't realize they know it yet. And so I'm just trying to put role play situations and dropping subtle hints. Cause I want them to go, Holy crap, this whole time it's been, you know, big reveal. 
So I slow things down intentionally and I'm okay if that entire session is nothing but role play. I would never do that at a con game. Well, I won't say never, almost never. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But at home, but then like the next session might be almost entirely combat. And so I'm looking at it from a much bigger standpoint, almost like a novel versus like a short story. With a novel, I can take the time and have some sessions that are different or specialized and this is all role play and this is all combat. But for me, I still try to make the ending have a button on it every single time to the point that sometimes I will make up stuff that was not intentional. Like if if I'm like in my head, I think, okay, we're going to get to the waterfall and that's when the ogres attack. And it's going to be this awesome ogre ambush. You know, they're going to be in the middle of walking across this bridge and there's a waterfall and that's going to be where we stop. Or if we get there early, maybe that'll be the end of it. Like, you know, we'll be in the middle of this combat and then that's where we'll stop it. But if they go off the rails, as it were, and and I can tell that we're not going to get anywhere near it, I may just remove that entire encounter. And even though that was the thing I thought we were going to build to the entire night, it just never comes up. And I'll put it in my pocket and I'll do it a different time. And then maybe something completely different. Like I will literally just have like, you know, a messenger runs up and says, oh my gosh, you have to come with me quickly. Uh, And then that's where we'll end the session. And I have to figure out what the hell that kid's there for and what, why they're going somewhere before next week. But I want every session to end with something that makes people go, okay, I can't wait to come back because we need to know what this means or who this is or what this does, how this changes. So sometimes I will just, make up an ending so that I have one. Yep. I I do something similar. Uh, The other thought that popped in my head for convention games, I would say, don't be afraid to be honest with your players. I've run into, or I'm like, Hey, we're doing amazing at role-playing and I love it. I just want to make sure we get the right conclusion and wrap the story up. We're running a little short on time how do you guys want to deal with that? And then I just talk with the players. And if we skip through a few scenes and get to the end, that's fine. If they want to keep role-playing, I'll just change the ending a little bit mm-hmm. um, and, and just be flexible with it. And I will also say, if your players figure out a way to outsmart your bad guy, high-five them. Even if you plan for more time, because I had them do that once in an auction, they were all trying to bid for an item. And one of the players went, I just blow the item up. <laughs> okay, well, the, the 10 minutes I'd planned for this auction now became two minutes. So now I've got to fill another eight minutes. So it worked out because then we just described the explosion better. Yeah. Made it bigger, but <laughs> you increased your FX budget. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'd say just don't be afraid to talk with your players. Be honest with them. Most people at a convention are going to be cool with it. They're going to go, all right, yep. You know, everybody's there to kind of have a good time and make sure everybody else has a good time. So just be honest. Yeah. I mean, talking to your players is always, always a, a good option. And I think you know, as, as someone who now goes to a lot of conventions, I did for this year anyways, you know, mm. usually when I sit down at the table, I have an agenda and my first agenda is always to have fun. Like always, always, always. My mm-hmm. second agenda is always to try to make sure everyone else has as much fun or more fun than me. Like, you know, I, I know it sounds like false humility, but I really will suffer through a game if I can help someone else have a good time. Like if I have to take a back seat and, you know, set them up or just let them shine or whatever the case may be, I will do my best to make that happen. 
But a lot of times I sit down, it's because I want to play this system. It's a system I've never played before. Or maybe it's a person, GM, I, I want to play a game with. Or I just want to do a lot of heavy role-playing. And it's, you know, I have an agenda when I sit down there. And so I can be meta about that. And, you know, if the GM is like, hey, we're running long on time, you know, I just wanted to explore the system. I've already got that, so I don't care. Or I really wanted to role-play, but so I'll you know, let me just role play this last scene. Don't worry about my roles. Just let me role play. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's okay to have that. Uh, quick shout out to uh, Baldor225 jumping in. Uh, this is their first time watching live on Twitch. Very happy to have you Welcome. with us. And I believe based on the name, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're the person who did some uh, art for us back when we were doing the Rot Iron campaign. The, the name is almost exactly the same. We had what we call fan art. I think it was the first time we'd ever got fan art. So if that's you, thank you so much. I, I know yes, I've told you on email, you. but that's it makes my heart sing that somebody connected with what we did enough uh, that they would actually do, do some art for it. So thank you very much. If that's not you, cool name, bro. <laughs> All right. So I think we're ready to wrap up pacing. Anybody who's listening now or in the future, if you have opinions on pacing good examples bad examples please throw them into the comments either on this posting or you know when we post it on twitter or on facebook and let us know um what you've done and some lessons you've learned and maybe we'll incorporate those next time so it looks like that is the correct ball door so yes i absolutely remember it man i, I awesome. absolutely love it i still have those uh images saved on my desktop and uh fond every now and then i'll post them in our discord to matt and caleb and be like you guys remember this and we all just sort of go that was so awesome yes all right so we're going to move on to our second improv game this is the one that's awful but everyone seems to love <laughs> and that is where have my fingers been and this is an improv game where we're going to prompt each other to create a scene between two finger puppets that are in a situation they're going to talk back and forth if you want to pull scott you can bring in a third person who ought to make it a little bit more interesting but the idea is to try to have a beginning middle and ending scene i sometimes skip the ending part but anyways yeah. chris you again are the guest would you like to go first or second uh i'll go second this time all right so you have to do the song it's very important i don't think new york tater is watching live right now he does a lot with like disaster relief. I, I don't know his exact job, but I know it has a lot to do with hurricanes. And so I'm guessing he's really busy right now, but this is his favorite part, but we have to do the song. So in, in honor of New York Tater, where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Uh, taking your first dance class. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Step ball change. What the is a step ball? And that's where my fingers have been. Yay. <laughs> so I actually brought this up the other day. I was listening to something. And I, there's apparently when you teach dance, step ball change means something. And I don't remember what I was watching, but that's all I heard was step ball change and step ball change. I, I want to know what step ball change is because I don't know, and it drives me crazy for some reason. Well, maybe somebody will look it up and put it in the chat for you. Or maybe someone knows how to dance and can tell me what a step ball change is and why you would well, hear it four million times in a short dance lesson. Uh, but once again, go back to Baldor. Absolutely, it, it does mean so much to us. I, I really can't thank you enough for that. Uh, so, Chris. All right. Uh, 
where have my fingers been? Said, where have my fingers been? Your fingers are at a con game that's supposed to end in five minutes and you are nowhere near resolution. And you have another game that starts after this game is over all the way across the convention floor. I wish these players would just get the hint that it's right there. Literally right there. The big door, the big button. But they're not getting, oh, what was that? You had a question. Um, which direction do we need to go? Uh, maybe you make a perception check. Uh, I rolled a one. It's right there. Just please go there because Michael's running the next game and you need to go there. And that's where my fingers have been. That's where your fingers have been. Yay! Thank you so much for playing our silly reindeer games. (laughs) All right. So we're going to move into what is our last official section. This is cryptozoology. We always do a question and answer at the end. So that's our last official, official segment. But we don't always have people who ask you questions or hanging out with us. So that one may not happen. But this one will happen. And this is where we talk about a monster, uh, particularly from D&D, but it doesn't have to be. This is a monster that either we've used in the past before uh, or, or we'll try to brainstorm some ways that we could use it. Chris was the guest. So, Chris, what monster did you want us to talk about tonight? Well, I have been uh, going through my old Dragonlance books again and reading them. And one of my favorite uh, bad guys in there is Lord Soth. So I wanted to talk about the Death Knight. Ooh. So looking at the 5th edition Monster Manual, it's on page 47. Here we have an image of a Death Knight. And there's actually a little blurb here that talks specifically about Lord Soth. Yay. I didn't even know he was in the 5th edition book because I don't have that one. Yep. Uh, So the background, again, this is the 5th edition book. Basically, a Death Knight is a paladin uh, who fell from grace and then died without a chance to repent their sins. Uh, They have... They're eldritch power, so they retain the ability to cast spells, but they cannot cast any healing spells. And they are immortal until they are redeemed. So even if you defeat them, they will basically reincorporate after a given time. The only way they can actually perish is to redeem themselves. Otherwise, they will keep coming back over and over and over again. Uh, In 5th edition, they are a level 17 challenge rating. They have magic resistance. They have the ability to marshal uh, undead. They have their spellcasting abilities as a 19th level spellcaster. For their actions, they can make three different longsword attacks, which is plus 11 to hit, plus 9 to hit, and then something else pretty that does like (laughs) necrotic damage. And they also have a health fire orb, which they can hurl a magical ball that explodes. Basically, it's like a fireball. So mechanically, they're pretty bad A. They're gonna they're gonna hurt mm-hmm. some people. So Oh, they took away their power word kill. Uh yeah, at least in fifth edition. So Baldor said they looked it up and apparently it's a weight transfer between the balls of your feet while dancing. And there's also a variant with a kick or in a line. And while I really appreciate you doing that, Baldor, I still don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> So I have to send you a video. Uh, all right. So, Chris, so you, what is it about Lord Soth that that interests you? Uh, to me, a Death Knight, and this is, you know, back in second edition when I was really first introduced to him, that was the bad guy that you threw out there to make your players kind of run away because they knew this is not a monster they could easily just run up and defeat. 
like I said, they used to have power would kill and fireball and their touch was icy cold and did damage. Uh, it sounds like they you know, have pretty much all of that except for the power would kill now. So I, I just to me, they're neat to throw out there to really kind of direct your players in a direction you need them to go to in a way. Uh, plus, I just like the flavor of this suit of armor with orange eyes that are on fire walking towards you with a long sword talking in this kind of hollow metallic voice that just sends chills to your bones like it's just the, the flavor of them is very interesting to me um, i've never actually used them as a dm uh, mostly because i was afraid i would kill the party because they're not the easiest things to defeat i, I just i really like that i really like the story of lord soth and i like the idea building some background in your world and talking about how the death knight became what he is because it's you know lord soth you know his second wife was trapped under a burning pillar she was holding out his son and he walked away and became a death knight you know that was a major part of his character and you know he's the reason the cataclysm happened or one of the reasons you know he could have stopped it so a major part of the history of that world happened with him and as a game master, that's really neat to put that kind of a character in the world and put him in the backstory and give a good history to the world and give the character something to play off of. Uh, so first of all, welcome, Tad. Tad, is, Tad jumped Hi, in. Tad. Tad has a habit of jumping in right as streams are ending. But fortunately for this time, uh, we've got a few minutes left. So happy to have you, yeah. brother. Uh, so I've ever never actually used Death Knight either, at least in D&D. I did play Forbidden Lands, and there is okay. a Death Knight featured in the adventure that I ran. It's from the Quick Start Rules. It's also something that you can just roll a random encounter, and I rolled that once. So in Forbidden oh. Lands, it's different. The, the, the lore is different. But basically, any knight who dies, um, I think it's not like an ignoble death, could mm -hmm. rise as a Death Knight, especially if you disturb their grave. Uh, so that's what happened here. There was just a, uh, they came upon a cairn or carn, I think sort of when they, when you pile rocks okay. on top of a bit of body and, you know, forbidden lands is all about, um, looting treasure and being, you know, uh, scavengers. So they're like, Hey body, let's dig it up and see what's under there. And it becomes a death knight and basically can murder everybody. Uh, but from fifth edition, Poor choice. I really, like, I do like the concept. I think that's a great way to add world-building flavor. Because mm -hmm. you can kind of start with, like, a blank slack. You're playing in generic fantasy land. But you throw in a Death Knight, there has to be a story there. Like, there's there's no Absolutely. way to not have a story. And so you get a way to tell this story and go, oh, now we're giving depth to the world. We're giving this background. And it has really nothing to do with the character specifically, but it can be... And, and this is a Michael thing through and through. Like this is a a sorrowful tale because you have this hero that is now the villain. They have fallen, but you have a chance to redeem them. I love that as a concept. Absolutely. That must be new for fifth edition. I don't remember that they could be redeemed in the past. I just remember you had to do a lot of damage to them. But I, I like that idea. And, and I like what you just said about helping redeem them. I could see somebody using it. You know, the, the village gets attacked by this death knight that walks in as he's raising all these undead around him. And, you know, you find out he's actually in the service of some evil overlord because they've got 
something over them, some magic amulet or whatever that controls them. And you go through and help redeem them. And then they become your ally to defeat the big bad guy. You know, that definitely gives you a lot of hooks you can use. Absolutely. Uh, jump into Baldor. Yes, there's a Catacon news. We've already covered it once, so I'll wait till the end and go over it again because everyone else already heard it once before. But yes, a Catacon right now. Have, stuff is happening. So actually, I think this would be a cool convention. Like I could see like an entire D&D convention game that's just about a Death Knight that you have to redeem. But the first thing that came to my mind is, and I've talked about liches before, mm-hmm. where maybe someone became a lich for a good reason, you know, okay. or they, what they, they thought would be a good reason or they hoped to be a good reason. Like there's this evil thing coming, you know, maybe it's like a prophecy that in 3000 years, this is going to happen. They know how to stop it, but they won't be alive in 3000 years. And rather than trusting that the knowledge they pass down will be around, they decide to become immortal so that they can be around to defeat it. So you could have a similar situation because I think it's interesting that death knights are immortal until they're redeemed. So you could have a death knight who's still fighting evil. They're just not fighting a specific evil because they can't. Like they're almost like they're intentionally choosing to not go down a path of redemption because they have more power now to defeat evil than they ever had before. And so it's like it's a it's like the very definition of an anti-hero. It's like I can't right. let this redemption happen because I can do things now that I could never do in life. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, usually you think of Death Knights as just the evil that comes in and just wreaks havoc and then leaves. Usually they go back to their keep and get tormented by the banshees or whatever. Do they still have that in there with them being tormented by the banshees who repeat their past deeds? Yeah, it's not not included here. Mm. That was always a good flavor. I always liked that idea. Uh, it'd be interesting to play a, a group of uh, maybe make a group of death knights that are out there and the players are actually playing the death knights trying to find their redemption. That could be interesting. Definitely a high level game. Yeah. No, that actually would be, again, it could, you could still be like a heroic thing where like there's, you know, five death knights, but now there's a true end of the world cataclysm coming and they're the only ones that can stop it because they can't die. And maybe, maybe it was in my mind, like what I see happening at the end is one of them would get to be redeemed, but the others can't. And so there's that sort of emotional, like, which among us gets to move on and which four will remain behind, or maybe one of them has to stay behind. The other four can be redeemed. And then, yeah, it's a, a a good role play scene at the end, or they all turn on each other and then no one gets redeemed. Maybe we find a way to get through the tomb of horrors. They're all death knights. <laughs> Cause we can just keep resetting at the beginning. Um, like I said, I really just like the flavor of them. I like the lore behind them. I think they're good to build the story behind Maybe I'll throw them in my next uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord game somehow. Yeah, I, I'm definitely intrigued. Like I, I'm, I've got some wheels turning that I, I'm definitely wanting to find some way to use them. Uh, I'm, I'm probably close to retiring the Dragon Spine adventure because again, I've ran that adventure so many times for, for cons. Maybe, maybe it's time to 
do something with the dungeon. I don't think I'll be ready for this catacomb because I don't want to put that pressure on myself. Uh, I'll right. definitely be running the dragon spine for this year, but maybe for next year. Maybe that, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe. But I've said that before, and then I've always reverted back to what I'm comfortable with. But I really do like the idea of trying to use them in some way that's not your, again, as I say all the time, you just have to hit it with a stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, and this could be something you tie back into, like maybe one of the characters is like related, the great grandchild of the Death Knight. Uh, you know, like that, that the redemption is there with them, that kind of thing. Or the death Knight hires the group to go get something they need to redeem them. But for some reason, the death Knight can't leave a certain area because of its curse or mm-hmm. however you want to build that flavor. So then the party has this kind of conflict of, well, I'm working for a death Knight, but I'm trying to do it for a good reason. But what he did in the past wasn't the best. So it could lead to some neat little role-playing scenes especially if they have to go to an NPC and talk to them and go, oh, by the way, I'm working for, you know, Lord Soth. Who? <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you could get out of my store. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I guess I'm thinking now is almost like, because again, I'm, I'm trying to make this as like dour and as sad as possible. So you've got this generational hero's quest where there's a death knight of like a village in a castle. And every generation, a hero is born, Buffy the Vampire Slayer style, that their job is to destroy the Death Knight, which causes them to go inert for like 30 years before they can reform and start hurting the land again. So our heroes are part of this new generation that have trained up and they're they're on their way, like Strahd in, you know, uh, the vampire Ravenloft. They're, They're going to the castle to destroy the knight. But the only way to actually break this cycle is to to redeem the Death Knight. So rather than killing it, they ought to do something else. And maybe the only way to redeem it is some sort of self-sacrifice or something. You know, it's like almost like a, a misunderstood prophecy that, you know, every generation this thing will be born to finally defeat the Death Knight. But that doesn't mean to defeat it. Because defeat it only continues the cycle. Maybe they have to let it kill them. I don't know. I got... Or, or they have to convince the Death Knight to step through a portal into the plane with one of the evil gods who's about to come through and he's got to sacrifice himself to seal the portal and the PCs have to convince him to do that, to help him. It'd be interesting role playing. Mm -hmm. If, if the players are into that type of game and if they follow those breadcrumbs. Yeah. The con game, it's going to be very straightforward. Uh, so yeah. it, it may not work as well, but I don't definitely some thoughts there. I know the, uh, another thing I always liked is where, you you set up this really big bad evil person that's like the you know clearly the the person that has to be defeated, and then that person comes forward and says I need help because this other thing is so much worse than me, and right. you know that's the you know you set up this game like you're going to go beat the Death Knight, and then halfway through the Death Knight just literally comes to you and is like I need your help can you please help me, and you just throw the entire every people's expectations of wait, we were supposed to kill you and now you need us to help you? How bad can things be that if the Death Knight needs our help? What if he's bound to a portal between the, you know, a world where demons can come through and his whole eternity, he's been locked himself in there to defend against it. And one of the PCs has to sacrifice themselves to take his place. 
it's a little different spin on the death night and how mm. it actually happens, but give somebody in the in the party that chance to free him from his duties. All right. Yeah, I definitely think there's there's something there. I, I'm going to keep working on this. I don't know where it's going to come up yeah. yet, but I definitely want to come up with something there. Uh, and as always, we'll throw it out to the audience, those watching, listening now, and those in the future. If you have had some interesting encounters with the Death Knight, either as players or GMs, or you have some interesting ways that you think you could use the Death Knight in the future, let us know. Throw it into the comments of this episode when it's posted, or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook when we post the links there and everything. Uh, so with that, we will move on to the quote-unquote final section of the show, and this is our audience Q&A. We have several people who have been hanging out with us and watching, uh, so you get a chance to ask Chris and or I a question. It doesn't have to be RPG-related, though that makes a lot of sense based on the show that we're doing, uh, but we'll take anything. I know there's a bit of a delay, so while we're waiting for chat to catch up, one more time, Chris, let people know where they can find you on social media and where they can check out Redemption. Uh, check out Redemption on pretty much any place you can find a podcast and to find me the easiest way is twitter uh, burlu underscore chris that's uh, pretty much the only social media i use besides facebook but facebook is what it is kind of a nightmare but yeah facebook is awful but i have a fairly large following there to all my stuff so i, I post there but i don't do much else there yeah I, I we could go on for a while on my theories on that but i don't want to bore everybody yep uh, as for me, of course, Michael at the RPG Academy, pretty much everything I do can be found at the RPG Academy, excepting for my new Smallville role play or Smallville uh, TV rewatch podcast that I've been doing. We just released episode 17 this week. Uh, we've got the first episode all recorded except for the finale. I'm still waiting to get with Big Al on that pretty soon, but uh, having a lot of fun with it. So please, if you have any interest at all in Smallville, check out that show because I think it's fun. And I'll just mention again, again, of course, the Catacon, the Kickstarter is going on right now. It started yesterday. We've already funded. We are going to have a Catacon this year in November, except this year it will be online only because um, the world is on fire. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. even if we wanted to hold it, we couldn't because the convention sent me an email that said, hey, uh, you can't have your event here this year. We'd already made that decision, but it would have been made for us three days later. Uh, so Ramey's asking about the weather. Because I'm I'm a backup to play one of his games that he's running Friday if my uh, movie night gets rained out. And looking at currently, it is showing rain showers on Friday, but I can't see the hour by hour breakdown yet to know for sure. But there's there's a chance that I might be jumping in. You're doing an outdoor movie night? Yeah, I, again, I don't know if you kept up with my social media. I've, I'm now down 109 pounds. And when I got to 100 pounds, I wanted to reward myself. And it's something I've wanted for a long time and my kids wanted. So I bought a projector. Nice. And uh, I bought a big honking ass screen. And I put up a big thing in my yard that looks like a cross. It's not, but it looks like I have a giant <laughs> cross in my yard. And we've been having movie nights out there where we sit by the pool. Uh, you know, we have some of our extended family come over because we can spread out. And we sit and watch movies. And we were supposed to do one last Friday, but it rained. And then we were supposed to make do the makeup this Friday, but it, it looks like it might rain as well. So if it uh, rains, I'm going to jump into Ramey's game. If it doesn't rain, I'll be watching Princess Bride outside poolside, which honestly isn't isn't bad. Oh, it's a good movie. Uh, yeah. So a couple of things have popped in. Um, Big Al's asking, are there any specific do nots in regards to a con game? 
So any any big do nots you can think of for running con games? Uh, do not ignore your players because they're going to tell you what they want in the game. And I would say, and this is one of the things I had to tell myself, don't fall in love with your story because it's not just your story. It's everybody's story at the table. So fall in love with everybody's story because they're not going to, the story's never going to play out the way you have it in your mind. They're always going to do different things and different twists and turns in it. Um, boy, see, I'm not somebody who is easily offended. So when I say don't offend your players, it's hard to offend me, but try not to offend your players. Uh, I usually start off right off the bat by asking everybody, you know, what type of game are you looking for? What rating? You know, here's kind of my thoughts on things. Are there things you don't want in the game? Uh, the lines and veils, you know, get those out there. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think a lot of these I've, I've covered before uh, in different aspects, but uh, I would say do not forget that your players are people and there is a social part. So, you know, mm -hmm. for me, like the first 20 minutes of every game is, Hi, my name's Michael. I do this podcast. What's your actual name? You know, tell me a little bit about you. And I like to go around the table and everybody kind of introduce themselves as a person. It kind of helps break the ice a little bit because I found even as someone who is pretty outgoing in those situations and loves to role play, usually like the first hour of a convention game, maybe the first half hour, I'm very quiet usually because I'm trying to figure out my yeah, role, where I need to fit in. Like, do I need to take charge or do I need to lay back? And you know, your players might be the same. They might love to role play, but these are four people, five people they've never met before, you know? So I, I think it helps break the ice if you get to talk a little bit about, you know, yourself and comfort level with everything. Um, don't rush the ending. <laughs> I think we're pacing, make, make sure you, you know, you do that. Uh, don't roll characters at the table unless character generation is super, super fast and part of the fun of the game. Do not roll character at the table. Come with pre-gens, even if you leave a few things blank, because uh, trying to roll a character at the table just takes too long. It's not for me. Yeah. Not, 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 unless it's part of the fun, don't do it. Uh, Baldor, couple things. Um, so yes, there is a RPG Academy Discord. I highly encourage you to jump in. Uh, we don't post the link because when we first did that, we got a bunch of people jumping there, spamming stuff, and we had to ban a bunch of people. So uh, if you follow me on Twitter, hit me up there, Facebook, or just email me, um, Michael at the RPG Academy, or no, sorry, that's the other one, the RPG Academy at Gmail. Just send me an email, say, hey, this is Baldor. I want to link to the Discord. I'll send you the invite tonight if you want. Uh, Baldor. Spammed by shoe salesmen. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, Baldor also asked, any thoughts on Pathfinder 2nd Edition? Uh, they might be playing in a game and they're not super familiar. They may have only played Fate, 5e, and 13th Age. So any tips on Pathfinder 2e? Uh, haven't played it, but the first Pathfinder was very similar to 3rd edition D&D. So if you've played D&D, I think you'll be fine. Yeah, same thing. I've almost never, I think I played one game of Pathfinder, maybe two. I've not played 2nd edition, though I've heard 2nd edition is streamlined sort of like what fifth edition was in D&D terms, but it's still Pathfinder. So I, I would say if you're playing in a game, they should be open and welcoming to helping you learn the game. And if they're not, then that's probably not a game I would want you to play in. 
but if you know that you roll D20s and higher numbers are better, that's probably good enough to get you started. Pretty much. Uh, and then just to touch on the, yeah, the, the weight lift, the weight loss thing, I had weight loss surgery. I don't want to be, again, I'm very open that I would not have been able to do this otherwise. Uh, but I'm down 109 pounds currently. My goal is 110. I'm hoping by the end of this week, I'll be there. So I'm pretty excited about that. Huh. Congratulations, by the way. You Thank look great. You. It's crazy. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Probably because of how fast it happened. You know, there are people who haven't seen me in a few months and it's drastically, drastically different. Um, I don't take a lot of pictures of myself. Just, I never have. So I don't have a lot of like, this is what it looked like. This is what it looked like now. But, uh, last year in September, I got my driver's license when we moved to Kentucky. We we're, we're going to be in this house one year in just under a month. And I think I'm going to go back and get another license plate or license taken. Just tell them I lost it. Uh, because I don't look anything like what I looked like literally one year ago. If I got pulled over, I don't know that they would believe it's me. So I want to do that. And then I'll, I'll have a very clear, this is one year ago and this is today. And I'll be able to share those pictures. So nice. All right. So good questions. Anything else? Uh, again, I know there's a little bit of a delay. So uh, anything else you want to just uh, mention, uh, Chris, while we're waiting for chat to catch up? Uh, if you haven't bought your tickets for Catacon Online, get out there and do it. What's the cost if you just want to do the online? $3. $3 for several games is nothing. And I'll be honest, if the $3 is a problem, just send me an email. We'll work something out. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just actually, I'm checking the Kickstarter right now. So we're still at $3,163. Our goal of 2000 so we're well past that. My guess is that we're going to hit about 4000 before it's all said and done. Uh, we still have 27 days to go. So that's kind of my fear at this point is I think those last 27 days are going to be so slow. <laughs> Probably in the next like 25 days would be slow. And then everybody the last few days will start jumping on. Hopefully that would be fantastic uh, as well. That's why it's weird because all Kickstarters are, you know, they have that natural ebb and flow, but we're also not a pro- product like most Kickstarters are where you have like all these stretch goals at the end and people are trying to get, you know, the extra minis or extra pages or full color art. Yeah. There's now that we're past our stretch goal, there's no incentive for everyone to throw like two more dollars at us other than just to help us get yeah. to a certain number. Bramie guessed that we were going to get to 4.25, so he might throw an extra $1,000 just to get us there so he can have bragging rights, yeah. you know, if he's that yeah. type of person. Nice. I don't know. It, it would, would be nice. I don't expect him to do that. Don't don't feel bad around me. Um, but, like, last year, you know, we had people that would go in and, like, you know, they pledged for a VIP, but they'd add $2 just to help us get to a next level or something, which mm-hmm. is kind of what, you know, Kickstarter's, does we don't have any of that incentive built in so it's it's hard to say but if we get more people to know about it that want to just play games i think three dollars to play in a curated small regional con i think that's well worth it because we're going to have some amazing gms running some stuff for us because we always do yeah and i would tell people don't don't stress out if you've never played online it's not that much more difficult than playing at home and all the game masters are going to be good and patient and make sure that you're comfortable and have a good time. I know the last time I ran one, we did the fundraiser for a catacon last year or the year before. can't remember. Anyways, I had a couple of people who played my games that went, they, they told me at the end that they were nervous beforehand to play in it because they've never done an online game. They didn't know how it would play out. Mm-hmm. At the end, they were like, this was great. 
I, you know, I want to do another one as well. Let me know. My schedule gets full yeah. quick with my life, but two more years, then my kid's off to college. And then in theory, I'm supposed to have more free time. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if that works out. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, Baldur, I just threw a link to our website. On the landing page of that website, there's a link to the Kickstarter because I wasn't able to get the Kickstarter link quickly. And uh, chat's a little bit weird about links. In fact, I wasn't even sure if he was going to let me link that or not. It must be because it's I'm hosting. Uh, but if you, if you go there, wait like three seconds, the screen will populate and there'll be a link straight to the Kickstarter. Yeah, I think, you know, I say this a lot about the Discord, and I, I truly, truly mean it. And the people who are watching now are going to get this completely, and Chris will as well. I think that a, the vast majority of the people who come to a catacon get what a catacon's about because they either Absolutely. come before, they've grown with us, or they've listened to the podcast and they know what we believe in and that you know we're we're fun first, story over rules. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. We don't go into addition warring. We're very receptive to new people wanting to play in our games and trying to help them get started on this journey of this game that you know this hobby that we love so much. And I want a catacomb online to be the same thing. Like I want new people to jump in, but I would rather it be smaller than get too big and get so many people that maybe don't fit our ideology. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't mean to be snooty, but I am a little bit protective of what a catacomb mm -hmm. is. And that's because the vast majority of the, the, the reason a catacomb works, I'm sorry, I won't go on a mini rant here, is not because of me at all. It's because we have Just tons of people that will pay VIP prices and then still run games. You know, it's it like okay. it's yeah. it's not that people just want to get the cheap GM badge so they can get in. Like they they want a catacomb to be successful because they feel part of the ownership of it. And even though they're paying the highest price ticket, those are the people who are running some of the best games you're gonna play in. And they don't have to run anything. Like they've paid a price where they don't have any obligation to run games, but they're still running some of the best games out there. And I think that's what a catacomb to me, that's why it works is that they're willing to pay the privilege to come and they're willing to run games because to them, a catacomb is their convention as much as it is mine. I'm literally getting choked up right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, the way I described it to my wife recently was a catacomb to me is like a big cheers bar. I walk in and so many people go, Chris. So I know so many people there. It's very warm and inviting. Everybody feels really comfortable where, you know, you go to Gen Con and you get a couple people at a wave high, but the majority of the con is running over your foot and uh I mean, you can, honestly, I don't even think it's fair to compare those because, yeah. you know, because it's, it's so different, but, but I agree. Apples there's that, that feeling of, it is often a lot of the same people that are at a catacomb because it is such a small convention. It's a regional convention. So uh, there's people that have been to every single one of them and, you know, they, you, you know, you, I used to have the network, you were part of the faculty. Technically you still are. I feel like you're part yeah. of the faculty anyway. So, so people, you know, Thank you. You know, I think they, they know what they're in for, and that's part of the fun is seeing the same people over and again. So, like, in a perfect world for me, every Akatacon, we gain, like, 10%. You know, we get, like, 550 people next year, then maybe 600 people the next year. I want it to grow. Like, I I still have a dream that maybe Akatacon becomes my full-time job, that it becomes big enough that I can make enough money 
that it justifies doing more of it. But like if next year we had 3,000 people show up, I legitimately think it would be a disaster and I would probably lose my damn mind. Uh, maybe that's a good yeah. problem to have. I don't know. But 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 I, I fear growth beyond our bubble. I want our bubble to grow, but I still I still want it to be a catacomb. And I don't know that at 3,000 people it would be. But yeah, maybe slow I'm growth definitely be a lot easier to maintain yeah but, and my sanity yeah we you know we've got a lot of people around that help a lot of the guys at the desk brad you know the other michael rocky brian everybody brad yeah. everybody else that's up there you know my son who loves to work the front desk yeah your your family your wife and your kid are amazing i love they, both of them so much they're they're they faculty too yeah i Thought it was odd the first year when he was 14 and showed up and goes, I want to work the front booth. And I asked why he goes, cause it's fun. And I'm like, what? Like him goes, dad, I don't get to tell adults where to go and what to do. And <laughs> adults don't come to kids and ask questions here. They do. And I was like, that's a good point. That's true. So There's... for him, it, it's the novelty of kind of being the expert and helping people. You know, he gets a real kick out of it. I was like, all right, cool. You do this. I'll go run games. And he does a great job. He, I mean, he's, honestly one of the best desk workers we have uh yeah and again that just goes back into the whole volunteer thing that you know I, as i say i don't think a catacomb is successful because of me i think i'm the i'm the heart like i will take that mantle that I, my childlike enthusiasm is why it exists but i don't think i'm why it's successful i think it's because of people like you and all the other vips and people who travel and run games and have ownership of it and, and they would feel like they did something wrong if they ran a bad game. I don't put I that pressure that. on, but, yeah. that, but that thought process. Yeah. Uh, no, thank you, Tad. Tad just jumped in and threw some money at the Kickstarter and well more than he needed to. So thank you, buddy. I do really appreciate oh, that. Thank you. Uh, and then Baldor. So we do have two sites. The RPG Academy is still our website for all the podcasty stuff. But uh, a friend of ours who's a web designer built me in a Catacon website that looks a lot more professional than <laughs> probably our convention deserves. And so that's just for Catacon stuff. So yeah, catacon.com is just the Catacon website. All right. So one last time, we'll ask for any other questions. Uh, believe me, I love talking about a Catacon, but uh, I would also be happy to, to end on a non-Catacon um, question. But if, if not, that, I'm fine with ending it there as well. Let me get another drink of water. I'm actually out. I'm sucking on ice at this point, but my throat's parched. Uh, some more Rygar tomorrow, one o'clock. Uh, again, if if it works, I'm, I talked about at the beginning. Hopefully, my emulator doesn't crush my dreams and make me start completely over. And uh, I don't have anything after that yet. So, well, I'll see what people want to play and what I have access to. I am definitely going to be getting Dragon Warrior two at some point, but probably not right away. Have you done the original Final Fantasy? Yep, that was actually the first thing i played all the way through so that was like 20 sessions uh i loved it i love that game so much I'm trying to think of some of the old so i did final fantasy i did zelda i did a one-off of super mario brothers i did a one-off of uh punch out the non mike tyson version yep. and then i did dragon warrior now i'm doing rygar uh, some pe oh Metroid forgot I did Metroid completely mm -hmm. as well. Some people mentioned Castlevania, which I'm not opposed to, but I'm not good at that game, and I I don't think I can play through to beat it. I think I'll play like three times and give up. And 
Yeah, I played the I played that one all, all the way through once. Try to think of some of the other ones I used to play. It was a no, I think that was Super Nintendo. Never mind. I was thinking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I think that was later. I, there is a TMNT on the NES, but there's also uh... sorry, bring me just popping. Yeah, I'm going to play tomorrow. Just hopefully it'll be from where I left off, if not starting over. Though now that we know where everything is, I actually think I'd be a lot faster because there's a lot of like finding things in that game. Uh, so yeah. So it wasn't as as bad as I originally had thought. So, oh, what's that? Ultima. That's the one <gasps> I was thinking of. That's yeah. another role playing one. Yeah, I don't think I've ever played that on NES. Uh, it took me a long time because you have to build your party up and go slowly. And it's one of those games where if you turn left, all of a sudden you're facing level ten monsters when you're level two. So you're like, oops, ah. I shouldn't have gone left. I should have gone right. Oh, when I'm in level five monsters, wait, nope, I should have gone the other way. So. <laughs> Eventually, I'm going to move on to Super Nintendo games. Um, mm-hmm. Eye of the Beholder is a like a second edition AD and D game that you can play on there. Mm-hmm. It's a dungeon crawler, so basically you're just walking down hallways, it's like kind of like the old yeah. Doom. So, uh, so, so, uh, Rami throughout maybe changed the delay. The delay does. It's really weird because it's everybody's always so far behind us, especially even like playing video games. Like people are trying to tell me to go left or right. And I'm already, you know, three screens away. Uh, so I might change the delay to like five seconds and see if it's, cause I just, I'm so happy that the delay hasn't, or that I've been able to stream without any problems. Um, so ba- Baldor asked about wrought iron. So unfortunately wrought iron is, I, I want to say it's dead. We haven't played in a couple of years. There's no real, push to bring it back i would happily play it but unfortunately i just don't think there's a chance for me scott caleb and matt to get all back together um though i so well i will throw this out I, it's on discord a little bit i'm in the process of setting up a new campaign that i'm going to run i actually haven't run a campaign for the show in quite a while and uh through the discord i'm recruiting players and we finally settled on the system. We're getting some characters built. We're going to pay and get some art done so that everybody has a character portrait. And we're going to do it on, this is actually going to be a Twitch game. So I'm hoping by the end of September, we're going to start playing. But at the rate that things are happening on Discord, I think it might push into October. But I'm going to be running a, a new game and Caleb is going to be one of the players. So he will be in that. Uh, beyond that, I don't know for sure. So, dun, dun, dun. all right. Well, I think we will end things there. Uh, thank you, everybody who hung out. Thank you, Tad, so much yes. for the generous thank Kickstarter you. donation. Baldor, thank you for joining us tonight. I hope you'll come back. We we do this every other week. On the alternating weeks, Tom runs a game. So there, he's running a game right now, which is 5e. Um, I'm going to be starting this new 13th Age game here in a few months. We do... Uh, I do video games every day, Monday through Friday. So there's plenty of stuff for you to join on Twitch. Anything you miss is on YouTube. And then, of course, the podcast still comes out, all that kind of good stuff. So uh, one last time, Chris, tell everybody where they can find you, and we'll sign this thing off. Uh, Twitter, Berlu underscore Chris. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We're going to wave out. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby, 
and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.